Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to September's Movies Podcast. Coming up are the Blu-ray Disc and Cinema News. We also take a look back at Clone Wars and Batman at the cinema, and we review Nixon and the Gauntlet on Blu-ray. As always, I'm joined by the AV Forum's review team. Uh, this week we have Keith Hurst. Hi, Keith. Hi, Phil. I hear you're doing fine. I'm doing fine. And uh, Simon Crust. Hi, Simon. Hi. How is everyone? And uh, wrapping us up this week is uh, the mouth, Chris McAnini. How are you, Chris? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right, yes. Still on the phone, sadly, because my computer is still not playing ball at the moment, but there you go. Okay, well, uh, we're going to move straight on with the news uh, this month. Let's go to Keith, because Keith, you've only ever been here once before, so we'll let you kick things off this week. Um, anything disc-wise which you're looking forward to? I am, actually, Phil, in all honesty. Uh, I think, as most people uh, on the forums, and certainly in the review team, are big fans of uh, Gomiro del Toro, and uh, seen most of the stuff that he's produced, but unfortunately, I didn't get an opportunity to see The Golden Army, you know, Hellboy 2, when it was released in the cinema there. Uh, so this is coming out on disc in November, and, and it seems to be a wee bit pricey at $64. So, I mean, I don't know what you're going to be getting with that. He is a modern auteur, really, and really anything that he's, he's producing, you've really got to try and get your hands on it. There's another bit of interest in news. I mean, he's obviously scheduled to uh, take up the reins of The Lord of the Rings with doing The Hobbit and this stuff. But after that, he's actually scheduled in to do Jekyll and Hyde and Frankenstein, as well as Slaughterhouse-Five, obviously, which is a classic novel. But, I mean, Jekyll and Hyde and Frankenstein, I mean, Gomeri could, could put his hands on this and produce a stunning work of, of a sort of gothic masterpiece, really. So, so really, it's Hellboy 2 that I'm looking forward to within the next, uh, next sort of six weeks, really. Good stuff. Well, I think the one you mentioned there, that, um, the expensive one, that's the three-disc version, isn't it? I think there's several it, versions of the uh, Golden Army coming out. Right. But as you quite like you say, anyone who's into uh, Del Toro's work is going to be plumping up for this, which has got like, I, think, uh, yeah, I, I do believe it's got to. a figurine as well, hasn't it? Or something. Yeah. A statuette of, of Big Red himself, probably. Oh, that would uh, be a fantastic uh, uh, disc set to, to get your hands on then, without a shadow of a doubt. It's got, it's well, got to yeah. be bought. Got to be. Um, that's staggering news about him doing with some of the old classics as well. Oh, I mean, that's today's roster of uh, filmmakers. He is about the only one I would trust with something of, of that calibre. I mean, I'm a I massive, mean... massive fan of vintage horrors. It's, it's the sacred, you shouldn't be touching them. But obviously, they've been reinterpreted, reimagined, and redone yeah. a million times over. But if you're going to do it seriously, he is the guy I'd look, I'd look to. He is. He is, and, and uh, I have high hopes for these additional films that he's, he's scheduled to do years from now. You know, I mean, it's going to take him at least, what, three years to do the Hobbit stuff. Yeah. Uh, so after that, he's still scheduled in to do, you know, fantastic, you know, pieces of pieces of cinema, really. So. Well, the way he chops and changes from, like, a, a personal project to a populist project as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, now he seems to be sort of crossing, crossing the bridge and combining the two into, into one. The Hobbit especially will be something like that because he's going to mix the emotion and the drama with the excitement and the, you know, the, the pulp sort of set-piece style as well, special effects dramas and that. And again, with the end of Vintage Horrors, it should be the same sort of thing if he's following that kind of pattern because there's, there's room be, yeah. for a you know, thematic um, you know, resonance as well as you know, a big effects fest. Yeah, I mean, you take Pan's Labyrinth, which is an actual visual splendor. I mean, I mean, ignoring the storyline itself, which is superb, but it is visually stunning. And if you could do something like that with Frankenstein, then, uh, I mean, you'd be on your knees bowing down to the man, you know what I mean? Because it is a superb well, he's story. he's a visual poet, isn't he? Yeah, he is, definitely. Okay, so uh, let's move things on and let's get our first word with Simon. So, um, Simon, what do you have in terms of disc news for us? Okay, I want to bring us back to the uh, the UK. The 27th of October, end of next month, um, Life on Mars, Series 1 and 2. The uh, complete series being released are actually separate discs, um, both 24 
from Contender. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I thought Life on Mars was fantastic series. It was, it was a shot back to a, the 1970s telly, and it was, um, it was just brilliant. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words to find how, how, how much this means to me. Gene Hunt and Sam Tyler together, kicking down doors and breaking taboos, as it were, of, of, of the modern television. I just love it. It was a great series. Coming to Blu-ray, so... Yeah, I've got to agree with you there, Simon. Um, probably one of the uh, most refreshing TV series I've seen in a while. And it, it was it was a bit strange. It was kind of like um, Doctor Who, but with Cops and Robbers. You would you had that supernatural type feeling about the the whole series. His predicament: was he dead? Was he alive? Was he in a coma? I won't spoil it for people, but I think the the series finale was probably the best payoff of the, the entire series, and it it just worked for me. So that's a definite purchase for me. Did any of you other guys catch the series? No, all of it, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't actually watch it on TV. I, I'm not a big TV viewer, in all honesty, so I tend to catch up with these series after the fact. You know, my mates will say, oh God, you've got to watch this, or you've got to watch the other. And I did, I did the same with, say, Deadwood, which I thought was astounding. And I did the same with 24, and I've been told by my mates who have watched it that this Life on Mars stuff is fantastic. So I think from myself, from my own point of view, yeah, the discs will be purchased when, as and when they're released. So. Well, I think my main reason for watching is my wife absolutely adores Johnson. So I think I was watching to make sure she's behaved herself while it was on. I, I was limited from the start to the finish. Uh, and I, I bought the box sets on DVD. Although having said that, having bought them, ostensibly for her, we haven't even opened them from the packaging. But then again, that's the you know, it's a Blu-ray that comes through my door. Chris, what, <laughs> what would your wife be doing? I'd let you use your imagination on that one. Okay, okay. Um, anything else, Simon, disc-wise? Another another big cinema release this year is coming uh, very very quickly to Blu-ray. Um, end of November, November twenty fifth, the uh, second of the Narnia films, the Prince Caspian, um, coming to uh, this is USA Blu-ray. Well, there's not much information on it yet because obviously we're getting this news pretty soon. Um, Thirty four ninety five dollars. I don't know about I, I don't know about what you guys thought about the film. I actually thought it was um, not not particularly close to to the story. They put it very very much action orientated rather than the the more sort of feel that that Lewis put into these books. He was more sort of um, the the development of the characters and us, as opposed to an action orientated book. They've obviously gone for the for the, the PG thirteen genre they want they want the action they want the kids they want the excitement and uh, and on that level it worked very well it was a darker more intense movie wasn't it he, he was yes very very much so and, and, and on that level it worked but i mean you, it's very difficult to, to say yes it was a great film compared to the book because they they're very vastly different i mean lucy's part is very very small in the film compared to the book um take that from what you like i mean i I felt she was one of the one of the predominant characters of the book particularly with her Mm. nobody was listening to her but in in the film it was very very much diminished not that really matters but i mean if you're into the 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 big bombast and the fights and the the, the effects again were outstanding weren't they the the attack on the uh on the castle there that wasn't in the book and or, or the the final battle there i mean absolutely outstanding and i think Oh, I mean, the, the, the original film, the, the Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe on Blu-ray was incredible looking. I can't, this is going to be even better. It has to be. Well, I've not read the, uh, the books other than the Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe, which was rammed down our throats at school. But um, I certainly enjoyed the first movie to a degree. Um, I think I probably enjoyed uh, Prince Caspian a little bit more, but possibly because it was a bit more intense, the battles were better, better choreographed. There's a bit more tension going on. Although I thought some of the acting was atrocious, but as you kind of got to expect that really with some of these, uh, the title star himself was truly dreadful, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> but you know, then again, it's a uh, it's spectacle, isn't it, more than anything else? I, but I can't really base it on the on the book. I don't know the story at all. Well, <laughs> only from the film, which, as you've just yeah. said, isn't very accurate. <laughs> I'm in the same sort of boat as Chris, sir. I don't really know the story apart from, uh, you know, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, which I think everyone reads as a kid more than anything else. Mm. Uh, and I've not actually seen the film, in all honesty, so I'll be waiting for the disc uh, to come out. And I don't really have too many high hopes for it in terms of sort of acting in this, that and the other. But really, it's not all about that, you know. It's uh, funny how the so backlash um, isn't there for uh, yeah. any, you know, um, inaccuracies with translating the uh, Lewis Carroll books. Uh, it's Lewis Carroll. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, isn't it? C.S. Lewis, yeah. Yeah, well, we told you we didn't read them, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So. Didn't see his name on the poster at all. <laughs> but uh, no one really complains about inaccuracies there. 
uh, in their translations. But whereas if it's Lord of the Rings, immediately before the films would come out, what? There's no Tom Bombadil? God, that's veto the movie altogether. You know, it was just ridiculous the amount of uh, speculation and you know opinions that were formed before the film was even seen. This this series of movies can seemingly, from what you just said, do whatever they want with the material, and no one really seems to care. But then again, is that because a lot of us haven't read those books or than the first one? So I, I don't know. I don't know. I just I just see this franchise as the movies themselves. And uh, moving on, it's now time for Chris. So Chris, what news do you have for us? Um, couple of biggies as far as I'm concerned uh, we've got well, despite the, the first wave of Bond movies hitting the, uh, the stands in October I think it is we also have the first Blu-ray double dip or major Blu-ray double dip anyway which is the Casino Royale Collector's Edition mm, we knew this was coming didn't we, it was bound to happen but finally we've got uh, some commentaries deleted scenes and actual featurettes on the making of this particular movie, Daniel Craig's first entry into the Bond franchise uh, now a lot of people are going to be up in arms about this why bother getting it, you've already got a fantastic Blu-ray version of it um, the only reason you're going to do it is because you're going to get some more extra features and you may of course be swept along with the whole hype surrounding the new movie coming out as well roughly the same sort of time, Quantum of Solace which I'm sure they'll talk about a bit later on uh, I know I'm going to get this because it's, it's Bond and it's also Daniel Craig's Bond it's just the best ever, I'm going to do it regardless so, but you've also got um Documentaries Becoming Bond, James Bond for Real, featurettes on the, uh, the Free One Chase, uh, The Road to Casino Royale, Ian Fleming, The Secret Road to Paradise, storyboards to screen stuff as well. It's a bit more of a, a lavish package than it's certainly got first time round. So I don't know what you guys, are you going to, well I don't know if you got it first time round, but are you going to be purchasing this one? It, it's one of these that I use quite a bit when I'm doing reviews for equipment and so on. I always use the first scene with the uh, the chase where they yeah. go across the top of the, the cranes and so on. So, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll stay with the copy I've got. What about you guys? Yeah, I'm staying with the copy I've got, really. I mean, I've double-dipped enough in the past, really, you know, to fund somebody's pension scheme. And I, and I, and I just... I, mean, I sort of take a, a sort of a bit of a backseat on double-dipping double these days. And although I absolutely loved Casino Royale, and I thought Daniel Craig's Bond was superb, I can't really see me dipping my hands in my pockets uh, for this one, really. I'll just borrow it off Chris at some point. <laughs> I'll charge you for it, though, so it's going to cost you more the long run. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fix your PC for you, Chris. You okay, George. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anything else, Chris, uh, news-wise? Uh, well, the really big, huge one. Now, the, the myth is absolutely huge. Prior to the Apes, the, uh, the 40-year Evolution Blu-ray collection, that's all the movies in one massive, big, lavish um, coffee table-sized package. And you've got literally everything you can possibly dream of here. You've got all the films fully uncut. Now, the big news about this is, although they've released them in the past, especially in the infamous final one, Battle to the Party Apes, which is a really low-budget, low low-class, shoddy affair, uh, but it was released fully uncut on standard DVD a couple of years ago. Uh, not that it made much of a difference to the movie, but you've now finally got the uncut, and no one's seen this before, the uncut Conquest of the Party of Apes. Another reviled entry in the series, but it's one I personally loved, because um, it, is, it is very, very dark and very, very savage, very violent. It was obviously made to coincide with a lot of race riots in the States, um, anti-Vietnam um, you know, distress and anger on the streets as well. So it's a very sort of um, urban, angry, angst-filled movie. And I love it. Um, just to finally see a fi- I know, an uncut version of this, no one knows, well, I don't know anyone knows what the extra footage is, but apparently it is violent stuff as well. So I can't wait for that. But you've got, besides that, commentaries on every single disc. You've got um, isolated score tracks for every single one as well. And that's something that really appeals to me because... I'm going to be covering this box set when it comes out, and I'm going to be doing a series of reviews of the actual soundtracks as well. Now, although you're going to have them in glorious DTS MA uh, 5.1 on a life-rated track as well, does anyone actually ever, any score fans out there ever actually listen to these things? Because they're not sequenced, they're not, um, you know, spotted, so you can't like skip to whatever track you want. It isn't like the score on a disc. It's just playing to the appropriate scenes in the movie, so you've got a lot of waffle away to a lot of silence you know between the actual cues so that doesn't it's a nice gimmick to have but it doesn't really work 
so it's still working in the discs as well. Plus, you've got tons and tons of documentaries behind Planting Apes. Um, you've got Planting promos. You've got um, special effects tests, makeup tests, interviews with the cast, featurettes on all the movies. It's just tons and tons of push. You've got picture-in-picture picture bonus views, um, so they're, they're embracing the new technology as well. Extra um, HD stuff that we've never seen before. So it's a really lavish and very, very expensive package. Its list price is $159.98. Um, there is a UK version coming out shortly afterwards because the American one is due out on November the 4th, and I think the uh, UK version comes out at the start of December. So it's just a, a month between them. But either one is going to be fully, you know, unrated and fully uh, expensive. <laughs> so it's got to be a serious Apes fan who's going to be picking this up. But I've got a feeling it's going to be lavish and well worth it. So if you've got the spondulies, dig in and go and get it. So that sounds like a, an excellent package, Chris, and um, some other releases which uh, we'll go through very quickly because we're quickly running out of time on this. Um, the Hulk, it's due. It's it due. is, yes. It's due um, UK and US on the same day, October 21st. Um, I didn't see this one at the cinema. I know you did, Chris. Um, yeah. I, we, uh, are, we are going to cover it on the, on the forums, um, so uh, be l- looking forward to that one. Um, interestingly about that, the, the rumours were flying around that it was actually an, an extra 77 minutes or so, which uh, Leterrier, the director, had snipped out um, early on, and he was going to reinstate it, he said. These were the rumours anyway, but it's interesting to see that this version that comes up is actually not inclusive of any extra footage, although it mm-hmm. does seem to have a fair bit of deleted scenes on the disc as well. I'm sure it's a lavish package. I'm Perhaps sure it's it sound dip, fantastic, you know. but, you know. Yeah, Hulk was never one of my favourite... Uh comic book heroes anyway and I must admit the, the the first film didn't do anything for me at all whether I'll get this one or not is debatable I might give it a rental but I mean I don't think I can see me going any further than that on this okay and uh, some other big titles coming out as well we've got Wally that's due I, I think you really enjoyed this Chris didn't you oh I loved it absolutely fantastic film yeah tremendously visual tremendously exciting very very moving as well it's not Pixar's finest film because I still believe that the Incredibles is, is their best to date but that's just my personal viewpoint. Um, there's no mistake in that this is a, a quality quality piece of stuff. A little bit more mature than, uh, than kids would possibly go in expecting. Um, but either way, you get, if you didn't see the flicks and you get this on disc, you're going to be blown away by these absolutely tremendously uh, jaw-dropping visuals. And the kids will be swept along by just what is a colourful, magical ride. It's, um, it's excellent, excellent. I can't really do it justice in a, in a, in a quick resume right now. I'll definitely be getting that. that is, okay, well, yeah. that's, uh, that's Wally. It's coming out 18th of November at uh, $35.99. And uh, I think to wrap us off, uh, just a small film, The Dark Knight. What's that about? Dark Knight? <laughs> no, that's, that's a new one on me, that. Doesn't sound very interesting anyway. Um, oh, we jest. Yeah, Batman. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. Um, mega, mega overkill on that one. Absolutely... Um, saturated myself <laughs> with Batman when that was coming out well, we're, uh, we're, so we're, several times with the flicks and I can't wait to see it again on disc well, come we're, on we're going to talk about on. that just in a second so um, we'll, we'll leave that on the back burner and uh, just one last one for the kiddies um, Kung Fu Panda 11th November anybody caught that yet? yeah it's great <laughs> didn't expect it to be the trailers for that film always made it look a bit oh god they're, they're generic really formula stuff but uh, the, the the oh-so-often-used Matrix-style slow-mo bit. And I thought, oh, this is going to be absolute tosh. And surprisingly enough, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and it's got some real moments of tension as well. The fighting is pretty good. Uh, there's one scene which people have always talked about, which is um, a jailbreak sequence, which is absolutely astonishing. You just don't expect it to be as intense as that. Um, yep, I didn't expect much from it, but it more than delivered. So, yeah, I'll be getting that one as well. Okay, well, uh, that wraps up the disc news, and we're going to move on to cinema news next. The highest definition. 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 This is the AV Forums podcast. Okay, so it's time for cinema news, and um, just looking down the list, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot coming out, and there's certainly nothing at the cinema at the moment, so um, anything that you guys are looking forward to? We'll come to Keith first. Keith, anything there? In terms of cinema releases, looking forward to it. In, in all honesty, Phil, there's not for me. Uh, it's, it's really got to be something big to, to to get me off my butt and actually go and sit in a cinema. 
and up and coming. I mean, I may go and see Pineapple Express, but I think that's more of a disc for me as well. But apart from that, if there was anything else, it's maybe the boy in the striped pajamas. It, it looks a wee bit interesting in terms of you know a, a wee boy who's the the son of a concentration camp overseer. He, he sort of works up a, a relationship with one of the Jewish internees there. That could be quite interesting from my own point of view. Apart from that, Tropic Thunder maybe could be a few could be a few laughs in that one actually from the from the trailer I've seen. But apart from that, no, no, not big. I'm afraid. Uh, I've got to agree. There's a, a bit of a low as far as I'm concerned up until uh, Quantum of Solace, which comes out, which is, actually seems like a hell of a way off now to be honest. But uh, in the incident, only thing that would really kind of take my fancy would be the likes of Death Race, Jason Statham, um, and the words High Octane, and you know. Um, adrenaline overkill sort of spring to mind it's, it's a very loose sort of adaption of the old Roger Corman version and um, I think apparently it sets it up, sets it up it's kind of like a prequel to it as well to the original Roger Corman one but um, it's going to be daft hokum isn't it uh, reviews tend to be a little bit mixed on it it seems to be like a, a solid 3 out of 5 star rating um, but it's one that I, I probably will go with a, with a gang of lines and then a few beers afterwards uh, and the other one which seems to be splitting the camp quite a lot is the Liam Neeson action thriller Taken, uh, which is he's an ex-CIA operative or something, but again with his ubiquitous Irish accent, which you can never, never change. And uh, he goes out looking for his daughter around Europe, I, I believe, and kills anybody that gets in his way. doesn't matter who you are. You could be a little Spaniel with gorgeous little puppy dog eyes. He's going to squash you flat if you get in his way. It's going to be exceptionally brutal, but I've seen this get one star out of five, and I've seen it get four stars out of five, so, I don't know, one to make your mind up on there, really. Well, there doesn't seem to be um, a, a great deal that's uh, appealing at the moment. Uh, so maybe we can go back and, um, it, it's been six weeks since we were last on air, and Chris, we had a conversation uh, six weeks ago where you were going to eat your heart if Batman was uh, was bad. Um <laughs> However, I went to see it on opening day. I know you went to see previews as well. And I guess the other two guys, did you manage to catch it? Oh, yes. Yeah, I caught it a couple of times in the cinema, yeah. Uh, it's coming up on disc. So, Chris, um, did it live up to all expectations on your part? It did. It, it, more, it more than surpassed my expectations. and uh, My expectations were exceedingly high for this movie. Um, I'd done a lot to avoid the hype uh, during the start of the year. Uh, Especially when the news came out about uh, Heath Ledger's, you know, sad demise, um, I just thought, oh, that, that's really, you know, put a, put the knockers on this movie. But you know, as the uh, inevitable hype bandwagon shifted into town, and all of a sudden I dusted down my cape and cowl and went back to fighting crime on the streets, I was swept along by it just like everybody else was. And in the end, I couldn't wait. I literally could not wait. And when I finally got to see it, oh my god! I, I mean. I hope I'm not going to give too much away because there might still be some people up there who haven't seen it. But uh, the action was fantastic. Uh, the story was, was brilliant, complex, devious, frightening, disturbing. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. Oh, you know, it's so easy to say that you know he deserves a posthumous Oscar. His performance is fantastic. It's easy to say because he's died and we all want him to have some kind of you know glory after death. But uh, his performance is that good. It actually is that good. There's, there's no precedent. In fact, he set the precedent. You, you can't compare him to anybody else. It's volatile, frightening, anarchic, hilarious. I mean, the pencil trick, uh, that's fast become legend, doesn't it? Um, you know, numerous other scenes. I mean, the way he licks his lips, the, the nervousness, the nervous quality that he's got there, as well as the, the sheer balls-out arrogance that he has. No matter what you do to me, I'm always going to have the upper hand Batman's beaten the proverbials out of him, and he knows he's still going to win. It's just uncannily, beautifully sweet, you know, his, his sheer, you know, glee and uh, uh, the bedlam he's causing. It's, it's wonderful stuff. Um, and also, Heath Ledger, unrecognisable under that makeup. I mean, I've seen most of his films before, and I, and I, know, I, I thought I knew that guy, but I did not see Heath Ledger there. I don't know about you guys, but I just didn't see him. That was such a huge step up a huge you know raise in his game from anything else he's done before and i say i found it profoundly moving as well um, certain lines that really stick in my mind i think i mentioned in the review for it as well i mean 
just just one simple throwaway line set the dogs on me. It just the first time I saw that and heard that line. I don't know. I don't know why it was. I don't know why it suddenly, you know, struck a spark with me. But it really just really got me in the guts. Vapid. And the ending, incredible, truly inc- incredible uh, piece of uh, movie making magic. Brutal, cold, and dark. Uh, exactly what the film should be. Chris Nolan did not pander to uh, what he thought the fans wanted. I mean, quite obviously, didn't do what the fans wanted because about the one error that I see in this movie is the fact that uh, the fighting is still pretty damn poor. The fighting itself probably isn't, but how would you know? Because he, he shoots it in such a confusing fashion. And if you've watched the extras on the first Batman, Batman Begins, you'll know how uh, in-depth these guys went into their fight training. And you can see a lot of exhaustive footage of them guys going through the, the routines. And yet, when you see it in the finished film, it's just not there. The, it's edited down, the, the camera angles are all skewed with. You don't get the, the impression. I know what he's trying to do, he's trying to make it look uh, far more energetic, frightening, and immediate, the confusion and chaos of the fight is there. But I think we actually want to see Batman doing some stuff, especially since we know we can do it. But there's loads of little fantastic moments which far override that very, very minor complaint. I mean, the tremendous moments with the um, the copy bat near the start. This isn't giving this isn't giving anything away because this is right at the start of the movie when um, a, a rather strange um, meeting between gangs in a high-rise. Uh, car park suddenly is interrupted by not one but several Batman, and it's a great moment, especially when you see that there's a rather tubby Batman in a, in a lot of uh, body armor. But it's it's just just clever stuff, and the way that the legend has been built up on uh, Gotham now knows who this guy is. The well, not not his actual identity, but the Batman exists. Crime in, on the streets is sort of evening out. Some people they see the bat in the in the sky. They're not going to go. They're not going to commit crime that night. That no 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 no. But the chances of being caught by him are so slim. Doesn't matter. I don't. I, I know what he can do to you. You know, the actual grassroots level of um, the mythology is there. It's brilliantly done, brilliantly evoked. And of course, the bat pod. Holy Jesus, the bat pod! Don't you just want one? I mean, that amazing uh, chase sequence. That a semi truck gets flipped. You've got the bit where the bat pod hits a wall, climbs up, it spins around, and goes straight back up again in one shot. Awesome stuff, absolutely awesome stuff. And yet the film isn't an action fest. You know, it, it's a very clever, convoluted, complex storyline. Everybody gets hurt, and that's what I love about it. Everybody gets hurt. The rug gets pulled from under your feet, and you, you literally are in a world of totally un- unpredictability. You don't know who's going to make it on this one alive. It's a, fair, it's a fair bet that one person, <laughs> the superstar of it, is going to come out of it alive. But you know what I mean? And it's just so well done. I don't think there's much else I can add to uh, what you said there, Chris. Um, certainly probably one of the best movies I've seen in the last five five years or so. Um, just the, way, the whole way it's been shot, and, and like you say, the, the whole um, aspect that, that not one of these characters is going to come out of it unscathed. Um, lads, you got anything else to add to it? Well, I think Chris covered most of the bases there for me. Uh, the Dark Knight was a superb film. Uh, you don't really know which way it's going to go. It is completely anarchic, but for me, it was Heath Ledger. I loved the actual Batman comics, and the Joker was a superb villain. and never fully realised on screen up until Ledger got his hands on the role. Uh, the two previous incarnations, Cesar Romero and Jack Nicholson were very comedic in their portrayal and they didn't have the sense of absolute chaos which this man is is, is capable of and, and for me seeing Ledger put that before your eyes was a, was a joy to see uh, obviously the pencil trick as, as, as Chris is saying is now legendary but I loved his nurse, I thought the nurse was fantastic uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a must see if you can if you can get to see it on the big screen, and uh, it's a definite purchase when it comes out without a shadow of a doubt. I don't think there's anything I can say that can top anything that's been said before. It was just a, a fantastic film. It's going to be fantastic on Blu-ray, um, and I <laughs> I'm wishing my life away to December when it comes out. Okay, well that that's one of the big films that we saw. Um, Chris, uh, we're going to come to you for this one because. I've just had enough of George Lucas. I just don't have the time for the guy anymore. Um, but you braved the Clone Wars. 
Um, I did. Th- this is strange for me because I used to be the world's biggest Star Wars fan. I used to love everything about it. It brought the trilogy, the the new trilogy, absolute. And um, and now we're going the animated route. And some of the animation has been excellent. But how did the Clone Wars stand up? Okay, well, let's let's just put it in perspective. Um, I've gone down the same sort of anti-Lucas evolution as many many people have. I grew up with the original trilogy, adored them, loved them, still do love them, but kind of grew out of them as well at the same time. When the next trilogy arrived, the prequels, again, the hype got me. I started digging out all my old figures, and oh, it was great, Star Wars is the best thing. So I found the menace, thought, oh, Jesus, what the hell was that? Why did I sit through that? Jar Jar Binks? Trade disputes? What's going on? Um, Pod Race was good, yeah, but a pure video game, nothing more. And then Attack of the Clones come along, quite like that. Uh, apart from, you know, Hayden Christensen, who just cannot act. Um, but I like the handheld sort of camera work of the battles at the end. And you know, it was a bit more colourful. Revenge of the Sith, um, again, Christensen sort of ruined it. Um, but it was a much darker, uh, well, suitably darker movie. Um, and a lot, a lot of it I actually enjoyed. Well, the Clone Wars cartoons come along, and I thought they were amazing. Um, I thought they were everything the films should have been. They were not. This is the first, you know, volumes of uh, Clone Wars, the very, the very short episodic ones, and uh, they were everything the films should have been. Non-stop lightsaber battles, non-stop, you know, war and carnage, a plenty, very exciting, and you really got a feel of the clones. You got to like the clones. You didn't know them individually because they're clones. But their battle tactics were, were, were brilliant, um, and the animation highly stylized. We didn't like it, but I loved it. So it was wonderful stuff. So when this film came out, well, again, I'd gone through another evolution. I got fed up with Star Wars again, and I thought we're oh, facing like a massive long uh, Clone Wars serial. We've got a live action serial. How much is he going to milk this? You know, it's just I was going on to the anti Lucas um, bandwagon yet again. Um, and I went into this, there were six of us who went, um, three adults, three kids, all supposedly Star Wars fans, but I was possibly the one who was least expecting anything from this. Um, actually, the first couple of minutes, when you had that, there's a 1930s radio serial voiceover, as opposed to the opening scroll, and I, they kept sort of British English speech very rapid, and um, I just thought, I just, my head just sank, I thought, oh God, what, what's this going to be like? It's going to be truly awful. And um, lo and behold, after, after that, the uh, voice ended and the action started. I was captivated and blown away by it. It seems I had a bit of an epiphany, to be honest. Um, I know a lot of people don't like it, and you know I've slated Lucas again, um, but I seem to have turned full circle. It's us that changed. It's us adults who changed. And the ones who grew up with it don't appreciate it now because it's not contain that same magic we thought it had. In actual fact, the magic is still there. It's us that have changed, not not the movies, not Lucas. He's still doing the same things. He's still pandering to to kids. They are kids' movies. You know, okay, trade disputes don't really have much bearing on, on, on a kid's mind, or a kid's imagination. But the battle droids and their rather naff humour, and believe you me, there's some literally terrible, terribly ridiculous crap lines in this uh, for the droids, pure comedic stuff which will just, any adult just hate that's groaning, but the kids the three kids beside us were immediately laughing their heads off and immediately like copying these lines and then you realise, and that's what they did for me it's not for us if we retain the kid we were back in the 70s and early 80s, then fine yeah, we're going to love these, but the kids of today are embracing this and that's, Lucas has never lost that vision it's okay you know, a lot of us are more jaded and cynical now. We expect more from our movies. We expect a bit more character and a bit more, well, better lines. But look back at the Star Wars trilogy. The lines of dialogue were truly awful. They were never any good to begin with. Um, but back to the movie in question. Uh, yes, it's, it's just Clone Wars. Yes, we know the outcome. It doesn't matter how many times uh, we see in these versions. Um, oh, God, what's his name? <laughs> Anakin, Anakin fighting like the likes of Count Dooku because we know how that all ends. We know that Obi Wan and Anakin are going to end up bitter enemies. We know all this, but it's rather like 
you know, you can have lots and lots of World War II adventures, men on a mission. We know what's going to happen. We know the outcome of the war. It doesn't affect the excitement or the tension or the sheer spectacle of watching these missions taking place. So, and this, it sort of hammers into that sort of ethic. It's in that, it's in that kind of mold. These are special forces going on do or do or die daring, you know, operations against the enemy. And in this, what saves? What? Well, not because it saves it, but a lot of it saves. I, I enjoyed most of this movie, um, but you have some great uh, little sidelines, like the kidnapping of, of Jabba's son. You know, for God's sake, you're just like, what? Jabba's son? But it, he ends up being a cute ball of slime. Um, Anakin's got a little um, Padawan, um, a young. Well, she's quite grown up for a youngling, to be honest. Um, and she is sassy, street smart, and. Most adults are going to go. Oh God, no, 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 no! I don't need this. It's a, you know, it's a battle savvy girl for God's sake. But by the end of the show, you know, you've actually she's warm. You've warmed to her. She's got under your skin a little bit. The animation again, it's acquired taste. These are more like action figures with you can't see the joints in the air, the articulation, but they've got the, the hair doesn't move. They've got massive stupid faces. Very sort of. Um, caricatured and heavily plasticated, you could say. But the actual choreography of the battles and the animation itself is, is superb. There's one terrific scene, um, which I, I really, really was bowled over by it. And it's a, it's a vertical battle where the clones, led by Anakin um, and his little youngling, um, mount a rescue mission to get Jabba's kidnapped son back. I won't go into the the, the pros and cons of all, the, the convolutions of why this is taking place. Uh, the clone army, the clone rescue mission has to climb up. It's a, it's a mountaintop fortress. And you have to climb this sheer wall, fighting all the way up. It's just a brilliant, visually inventive um, sequence. A marvellous set piece. And, you know, once that, fight, that initial voiceover ended, I was in Star Wars heaven yet again. And uh, I know that the kids around me were, and the, the grown-ups, they fully appreciated it too. So, I would recommend it. You know, you've got to get past your old Lucas bias and remember why he's doing it. Well, we know why he's doing it. Money! But who he's aiming it for and the target market adore it. So, we've got to get back into that mindset of who we were, why we were so captivated by it in the first place. Because it's just more of the same. That's all it is. It's just more of the same. I know I seem to have changed my tune because I've, I've done a lot of panic of, of this series in my time, but I have to say, maybe it was an epiphany, I don't know, maybe it's just a right frame of mind, but I loved it, enough to go and buy the soundtrack, oh, and there's another, another quandary as well, John Williams didn't do the score for it, oh no, the purists say, God, you can't have someone else doing the Star Wars music, well, I'm afraid you can, and I'm afraid it's very, very, very refreshing as well to hear it, it's a wonderful soundtrack, very eclectic, very diverse, and uh, I loved it. <laughs> There you go. Pick the bones out of that one. Well, I, I think, um, personally, I'm going to be avoiding this like the plague. I, I don't know what it is, and and I know what you're saying about um, maybe having to get into the mindset of uh, where we were when we first saw the original films, but the thing is, I can still sit and watch the original films and still enjoy them and still get that magic from them, the the, the prequels and, and the animation and so on. Um, it, it's. I think the problem is that, that George Lucas is not a director. I think that's that's the major thing because if you look at uh, Empire, it was uh, Ivan Kershner that, that directed that, and uh, you look at Jedi, and it was um, Richard Marquis, was it, that directed that, and um, those films just had that little bit more um, character development and so on. And um, I, I'm sorry, but I I, th- I think he's trying to milk it for everything it is, and uh, and for for a guy who used to be my hero. Um, uh, I won't be going anywhere near them. That's just my point of view. I don't know what you other guys think. But the, the thing oh, is, this this Clone Wars film, he, he had nothing to do with it. Apart from creating the universe, he didn't write it, he didn't direct it, he had nothing to do with it. So surely you should give it another chance on that leg. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that, uh, that, that maybe this film hasn't been directed by George Lucas, but um, I'm just talking about the whole series and um, the, the fact that he's had his hand in in it all the way through and... 
he's, he's trying to uh, top up his pension plan. That's what it looks like to me. And uh, I appreciate what Chris is saying about, you know, we've got to put ourselves in a certain uh, mindset. But I can still watch the original trilogy without having to put myself in that mindset and still enjoy it and still get the magic from it. And I think it was because um, you had the other influences over Lucas and, and, and he, he wasn't as confident as he seems to be now where he, he just thinks... What the hell with it? I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and and to hell if there's plot holes and and all sorts. So no, for me I'm out. Sorry. Dragon's I, I, I Den. Uh, I, I do understand that. I, I understand why people don't appreciate this anymore. And I I certainly was one of them myself. But uh, you know the whole CG overload was, was another you know major stinger for me. Um, you can't direct people, but you can show yourself put like CG models on the screen. But the, the breadth of imagination and the, the passion and, and expansion of this universe, if you compare these movies, the extended movies, to the extended literary universe, the movies are far better. I don't know if people have actually read any of these other books, which are quite highly celebrated and become bestsellers, but they're, they're totally naff. They're really, really awful books. Uh, so badly written and terribly formulaic, banal stories. That's when they're not going totally stupid and preposterous, like with twins and you know Jedi twins, and it's just soap operatics, you know, <laughs> gone stratospheric. The movies for me, there's still an element of magic there. There's still an element of you know high imagination, and they're exhilarating. They're just good fun viewed on those terms. You know, it's hard to you know be nasty about them um, to me anyway. I think the personally speaking, the best thing that can happen is uh, for Mr. Lucas to retire. I think that's oh. I think that's the best thing to happen, and then maybe get some fresh blood in to take on um, the Star Wars universe and take things forward with with maybe another perspective to things. And but then again, maybe it's just because I'm now what thirty five year old, and uh, maybe it's like what you say, Chris. Maybe these films aren't supposed to be for me anymore. I don't know. What do you other guys think? Well, I mean, I'm I'm coming up for 45 here you know what i mean and apart from uh, the pants in venice which i didn't enjoy at all really uh and, and not even from a sort of jar jar point of point of view i just couldn't imagine a young darth vader running through a field going yippee and that really got it for me but the other two i accepted for what they were and they were part of the star wars universe and i quite enjoyed the sort of political theme underneath it all but as i say i enjoyed the uh, the clone wars animations the first ones and and, and maybe now Lucas is relinquishing some sort of control. Uh, as we know, we've got different writers and different directors for, for the new CGI version. And Lucas is okay at sort of throwing things, throwing one or two ideas into the pot, as long as he then lets somebody else actually make the final product, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give the, uh, the new Clone Wars a, a watch with open eyes and, a, and an open mind. But then again... You know, just look what he did to Indiana Jones. Well, exactly, but you know, he should yeah, have just. Yeah. Should, we both know, forgive he, him for that one. <laughs> so. My time for Uni goes so far. Okay, sorry, I seem to have killed that conversation there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> we all just thought, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all our hearts sank then. <laughs> the pain yeah. is too immense. But I mean that's that's a good example of where his meddling um, in in things just you know someone needs to turn around and, and give him a slap and you know I think he's getting too powerful and and he's turning into to what um, he originally set out to fight against which was this yeah, big definitely. corporation and you know put, putting out the same tripe over and over again he wanted to do something original which is why he went off and did you know what he did with American Graffiti and then Star Wars. Yeah, he wanted, he wanted to fight against the, uh, the studio system where execs who had no idea were enforcing their rules upon the filmmakers. And now, I mean, that's quite a valid point because although he's not making these movies, it, it, nothing is getting done without his authority in the first place. He owns that universe and he has the final say over everything that gets put into it or dragged out of it. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, this whole thing about the screenplay with Indiana Jones as well, that that was the final nail in the coffin for me. Uh, when it comes to George Lucas, um, and he absolutely ruined that as well. So um, maybe in the past, everything he touched turned to gold. Pff, certainly the opposite nowadays, in my opinion. So 
those were the two big films. Um, I think Batman gets a thumbs up all the way around. And if you haven't seen it yet, where have you been? What have you been doing? What's your excuse? Go and see it. And uh, if you can't manage to get to the cinema to see it, the disc is out in December. So uh, that's the cinema news and cinema reviews. Uh, we seem to have taken a little bit of time there, but I think uh, some of these subjects really needed discussing. And we're going to move on next to the disc reviews. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. Okay, so it's time for the disc reviews, and we're going to get straight into them, and we're going to start with Chris. Um, Chris, what are you reviewing this month? So, without further ado, I'm going to launch into... Um, one of Clint Eastwood's several uh, Blu-rays which aren't doing the rounds at the moment. He seems to be taking the Blu-ray well by storm. Um, what with the Dirty Harry box set, a Pale Rider, um, any which, uh, sorry, Every Which Way But Loose, and uh, now, well, I'm going to talk about The Gauntlet, which was um, a lot of people seem to believe it's a, a disenfranchised Dirty Harry movie in itself. It's a 70s action, relentless action fest, where he plays an, an alcoholic copper from Phoenix um, called Ben Shockley, who is given a sort of one-shot at redemption where he has to go into um, uh, Las Vegas and escort a hooker who happens to be Sandra Locke, um, the ubiquitous Sandra Locke, and um, escort her back to Phoenix where she's going to testify in a high-level court case. Once he gets there, it seems that once he's got her in tow, everybody and their dog is out to stop him and her getting to that courthouse. So what what becomes like, it's a bit of a high-concept movie and for the 70s, that's 70s thriller movie like this it's kind of groundbreaking Eastwood directed it and um, once again he gives a female uh, character a very strong role uh, Sandra Locke I mean we won't go into the history he has with Sandra Locke anyway other than to say that once again he puts her through another rape sequence uh, what, what did he have against her you know um, but it's there's a lot of comedy to it and the comedy is born out of the characters and the, uh, the sharp witty dialogue uh, very foul mouthed uh, once they hit the open road, uh, almost immediately they are beset by bombs, bullets, and all sorts of mayhem. Um, this film has possibly the highest bullet count of any pre-80s action movie. I mean, it's preposterous. It, it goes to such ludicrous extremes. This is the famous one where he, he uh, commandeers a bus and reinforces it with steel plates and drives it through literally the gauntlet of steel, which is um, all the Phoenix coppers are all out on, on route to literally strafe the hell out of this bus and, and mow them down before they get to the courthouse. Many episodes ensue between um, uh, Vegas and Phoenix, and it's, 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 a, it's a great 70s thriller, but again, it's a little bit more than that because, again, he gives the, uh, the female role huge emphasis. She gives as good as she gets, he certainly can't survive without her. She can't survive without him as well. So they're on equal footing there. Um, he directs with a great visual um, style as well. There's some great stunt work in it. Uh, there's a, a very, very good helicopter chase where Clint and um, Sandra Locke are on, on this stolen uh, hog, which they've taken from a... <laughs> rather foolishly taken from a motorcycle gang. And um, a helicopter is in rapid, low-level pursuit. Now... Yeah, we, we all love helicopter chases. Now, there's quite some great dizzying effects here because when I say effects, it's real. This helicopter is dipping so low, you know, it's putting a, a center part in Clinton. It is that close to the ground. And the pilot is one crazy mother, you know what, because it, the veering from side to side and the swirling around it's doing in, in between mountains and ravines and perilously close to the deck. It's really groundbreaking stuff, literally <laughs> groundbreaking stuff. And... Uh, very exciting too. So I, I love that. I think that's a great movie. Um, but it's, it's possibly one for Eastwood completists because even though it's high concept and relentless in its action, it's still very pedestrian compared to what the next decade will throw at us with the likes of Arnie um, Stallone and, and Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis and all that. Uh, Transfer-wise, well, this appears to be another little candidate for suffering of excessive DNR. Now, if you've had, I've discussed this before in the past, and it depends how sensitive you are to DNR. Um, basically, it has removed the grain, um, and faces can look a little bit uh, undetailed, but that's not across the board. Certainly, two faces in particular really, really stand out, and one of them being Clint's. 
Um, and there is so much detail to his face, his furrowed brow, the cuts and bruises, the little bits of stubble, uh, a wavered you know, eyebrow, or eyelash. You know, it, it's it's there. Color-wise, it's fantastic. The colors are, are superb. The blues of the skies, the yellows of the desert, with the varying shades of yellow and red and orange of the rocks that they're driving through and, or running through. Blacks are very solid too. Um, and as I say, the detail, although sun grain, is a... It's great. I mean, okay, close-ups are fine. Mid-range is, is pretty good. Far-off shots can vary quite a bit, but there are some great long-distance um, scenes where detail is apparent in the background as well, and it's got quite, quite a three-dimensional quality to it as well. Uh, Sound-wise, it actually has a True HD 5.1 track. Not brilliant. Um, about the best you're going to get from it is Sherry Fielding's jazzy, upbeat score. Um, but, you know, it, it, there's a little bit of sporadic um, action in the rear speakers, the odd ricochet. Sub-action's quite good. There's a, a car crash which has a fair bit of oomph to it. Um, so, you know, for a film in the 70s, which was never really intended to have much in the way of, you know, full wraparound, surround activity, you know, you can't expect a great deal, but it's still a nice enough track. And as I say, for Eastwood completists, it's essential. Sadly, the disc is completely bare bones. It has absolutely nothing on it, nothing at all. Not even a trailer. Very unfortunate. Um, and for the film that's often sidelined and maybe even maligned by some people, um, it would be nice if Clint could have supplied something in the way of a commentary track or even a retrospective making of anything would have been nice. But sadly, we get nothing. Just the film. So that's the gauntlet. Excellent. Well, yeah. uh, we're going to move on and uh, cover another disc now, and uh, we're going to hand over to Keith. So, Keith, what have you been looking at? Uh, I managed to get Nixon under my belt just uh, just recently. There, it's uh, another one of Stones having a swipe at the the, the sort of political system of of the U.S. And for me, this is what Stone is is is, is really best at. It's what he was made for, really, uh, going back to to say Salvador and Platoon, uh, obviously uh, JFK, and, and they are really some of my favourite films, especially JFK, in fact. Uh, so when you pick up Nixon, you're, you're thinking, well, Nixon himself as a man was, you know, I mean, he, he was not a great president. He had his uh, fingers in God knows how many pies, uh, incredibly right-wing uh, from the time he was on the uh, the uh, House Un-American Committee. Uh, and you thought that Stone was actually going to tear the man apart. And a lot of people were looking forward to that, in all honesty. Uh, but that's not what the film is about. It's actually, funnily enough, for Stone, it's it, it's quite a sympathetic view of Nixon. Um, Stone again, he's, he's he's reiterating themes that he brought up in JFK, where the actual members of the political organisations are not in control of the country. It's it's the men behind the scenes that are pulling the strings, and Nixon was powerless to to control exactly what he wanted to, to put through the policies that he wanted to. Uh, it covers his history from uh, a small child growing up in his, in his Quaker roots with his very religious mother uh, and, and going through and trying to get into office and ultimately succeeding in 1968. But he, he comes across as, as a bit of a weasel of a man, a very paranoid man, as though all and sundry are against him. To which some degree it is really. There's no doubt about it. So it's it's not what we expected from Stone in a sort of political venture. But in saying that, it's a superb portrayal of a man who really has himself to blame for his own failings. Really, uh, he never had the, the the spheres to 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 challenge the people that he really needed to challenge when he was in office. And there's a superb scene uh, with Sam Watson as the, the director of the CIA. And he should be going in there, head and shoulders above this man. But 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 Sam puts him down so brilliantly in this scene. And this scene was actually cut from its initial theatrical release. And I cannot understand why, because it's pure stone, absolutely pure stone. Uh, and, and for me, that that one extended scene sums up this film for me. So I'm I'm, I'm glad to see that that's back in. 
the the acting as you would expect from Stone, he he gets he gets the most out of his players, and he's got some superb players here uh, on on film. You know, he's got James Woods, which he used before in Salvador brilliantly. I I, I must add, I I absolutely adore Salvador. Uh, he's got Bob Hoskins as a superb uh, J Edgar Hoover. Really, who's 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 quite camp in a couple of scenes naturally. Uh, Powers Booth, who we've seen before, he's in there. J.T. Walsh is in there. Uh, Ed Harris is is in there, but he's, he's he's got a rather small part for for Ed. Really, you know, he plays one of the the plumbers, probably the leader of the plumber pack, who who actually uh, uh, went into the to 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 the Watergate Hotel to uh, to to uh, steal the documents from the uh, Democratic Party Party convention. But for me, you've got Paul Servino, who we, we all know and love from The, the Sobrinos, who plays uh, Kissinger. And he's a brilliant Kissinger. Not only does he look like him, but uh, his, his, his voice is superb. His delivery is excellent. Uh, and he's just this sort of demonic character in the background, again, who, who seems to be pulling strings where, where Nixon should really uh, uh, be overlording it over him. On the top of the tree, we, we've got Anthony Hopkins, the great Anthony Hopkins, playing Nixon himself, and, and he does play the part incredibly well. Uh, sprayed down so he's nice and sweaty, which was uh, uh, one of Nixon's traits, unfortunately. Uh, he, he does he does put the man on screen very well indeed, from his mumblings uh, in, in the Lincoln room when he's getting drunk to the, the pain he feels, the pain you can see in his face and his eyes when he doesn't win any elections and when he thinks that uh, the world is against him. So it's, it's a good film. Uh, from from Stone Stable, it's it's not it's not top rank. It's not up there with say Platoon and Salvador and JFK, but it's it's just a notch underneath it for me. Uh, but it's still one that I, I will gladly have on my shelves for, for 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 many years. You know, he pulled in John Williams, funnily enough, for the for the score we were talking about John Williams earlier, um, and and the score is is. It's, it's not typical Williams, really. It's it's not bombastic. It's not in your face. It's gentle and flowing, and it takes a, a couple of viewings of, of the film to really get into Williams's score itself. And then you can start hearing the themes that Williams is 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 renowned for. And there's some themes here which you can actually see reflected back in in some of the themes that he did. Funnily enough, for Revenge of the Sith on the sort of political stage, because Nixon obviously is a political type of film. So. From a a whole rounded package, it's, it's very good. The, the 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 filming is a mixture, as he did with JFK. It's shot on thirty five and sixteen mil and eight mil, and you've got Anthony Hopkins as Nixon, sort of retrofitted into conference speeches uh, of the time and television studios. So you're you're not going to get pristine across the board, but that's not what it's all about here. Uh, the individual scenes uh, fit well in what in what they're showing. There's a a, a massive amount of grain in some of the uh, old historical television footage that he's been retrofitted into, and in some conferences, and in these scenes as well, there's there's there's, there's a wee bit of edge enhancement. But but when it's actually Nixon uh, on his own uh, in the offices or uh, uh, the the racing pavilion, for instance, which is an excellent example, the the, the video itself is pristine. It really is. The 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 blacks don't come across too well, which is a bit of a shame because a lot of it is shot in such shadowy areas and that sort of detracts a wee bit from it, you know. Uh, equally, the audio, although it, it, it does its job well, you're not going to be expecting things flying around left, right and centre. You're not going to be expecting uh, heavy, heavy bass use apart from when it uh, sort of switches over to Vietnam or this, that and the other. Uh, from an extra's point of view, this is quite a funny one actually. There's There's... There's two commentary tracks by Stone. The first one, he, he sort of discusses the cast and their portrayal on screen, and then the second one, he's discussing uh, the, the 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 actual scenarios on screen and how they related to the actual uh, events of the time. And there's just not enough in there for two commentaries. There's huge gaps of silence, and there's huge gaps where where Stone is just chuckling to himself. Uh, uh, and and these should really have been combined, I think. Uh, the the other extras we have on there, there's a, a, a sort of a 
a documentary put together uh, by Stone's son, I believe, called uh, Beyond Nixon. And that's quite an enjoyable affair if you want to know a wee bit more about the man. It's got political advisors, ex-political advisors, uh, political commentaries, uh, uh, commentators all having their, their say on that. And, and that's quite enjoyable. We have a number of deleted scenes, most of which were actually put back into this extended election edition uh, special. But you have Stone interspersed and talking about why the scenes were taken out initially, and, and that's and that's quite good. And the scenes that he has put, put back into the into the movie, like the the, uh, the meeting with the CIA director, uh, it was a wise choice to make. It definitely rounds the film off uh, a, a wee bit more. Uh, there's an interview with uh, Stone himself on a on a PBS channel where he's justifying, again, the artistic license he took uh, with this his- historical feature. And, that, and that's an interesting watch. That's almost an hour in length in itself, you know. Uh, so for me, yeah, I enjoyed Nixon. It wasn't what I expected. And I was quite glad of that, in all honesty, you know. Uh, a bit of a, uh, a sort of return to form. Well, not return to form, obviously, because it was done in 1995. But it was sort of continuing... Uh, a lot of the political themes, a lot of the sort of corporate America themes that that, that Stone really has a sort of uh, bee in his bonnet for, and I was I was I was glad to see it, glad to review it, and I gave it straight eights across the board for all categories. So I would uh, pick it up, give it a watch. Okay, well, uh, thanks Keith and thanks Chris for your reviews this month. And uh, before we go, we're going to go to Simon. And uh, Simon, what do we have coming up on the AV Forums review site in the next month? Um, we've got a fair few bits. I'll let uh, Chris and Keith tell you exactly what they're doing. I know they've got some exciting bits coming up. But I'll tell you that um, Andrew Mogford, he's um, looking at Risky Business, um, 1408, and both the Kill Bill films, Volume 1 and 2, um, they should be with him very, very shortly. So they expect them within the next few days. Uh, Brian Day, he's looking at Forbidden Kingdom, the um, Jackie Chan and Jet Li film that was just recently released in the UK. Um, I know he's got that at the minute, he's reviewing that. He's also looking at Leatherheads and How the West Was Won. And Kaz, uh, possibly the biggest release, well, depending on what, what Keith thinks of what he's got, but he's got Iron Man coming, a uh, big two-disc release. Um, looking forward to that one, I know that one. He's also got Unjust... Under Siege 2 and uh, Transformers, another big big title there for for Kaz Harlow. At the moment, and it's uh, an excellent classic 60s movie, a quintessential 60s movie, Cool Han Luke, Paul Newman, um, and George Kennedy winning his Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Fantastic film. Um, can't wait to get to grips with that. I've also got Justice League, season one, season one um, animated show on Blu-ray. Fantastic, love the show. Can't wait to dig deep into that one again. Um, I've also got The Thing coming on Blu-ray. Uh, how many versions have I got of The Thing now? God, it just beggars belief. But who cares? I'll get every single one that comes out. Um, what else do we have? The Omen box set. <sighs> yep, yeah, can't wait for this. That's due out um, sometime at the end of this month, I think. Um, yep, yeah, oh, that's the first three movies and the remake of the original The Omen uh, with a plethora of extras and uh, revamped sound and well, 1080p visuals. A comic for that, and there's other things as well, I'm sure, but I can't think what they are right now. I've got a number of things coming up that I'm really looking forward to. I've got The Fall coming through, uh, directed by Tarson Singh. Uh, I saw the trailer for this on, on one of the discs that I had in my hands a, a wee while ago, and visually, it just looks absolutely stunning. Uh, a story of uh, a bedridden guy who, who for whatever reason, obviously I don't know yet because I've not seen the film, but he, he seems to want to commit suicide, so he persuades a, a young lass who's in the hospital with him to, to, to go and get him pills. And, and she says, well, you've got to tell me a story uh, before I'll do all these things for you. So, so he tells her this story, and, and, she, and her own vivid imagination pulls this story to life. And it, 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 does, it, it looks good. It looks good from what I've seen, so I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to that one. It's The Godfather, isn't it? The Godfather trilogy is being released on Blu-ray towards the end of the month. And certainly for myself, it, it doesn't get any better. Even 3, which is poor in comparison to 1 and 2, is still head and shoulders over a lot of stuff that's out there. Four discs, I believe, that's the, 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 that you're going to get with this. The three films, 
numerous commentaries, umpteen extras. It's difficult to know where the the, the video is going to go with this. I still, I think it's going to be quite a grainy affair. Still, it's it's difficult to know how they can tart it up uh, too well. And, and and do you want to? That's 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 the issue here as well. Do you actually want to? Uh, as long as it's crisp and clear, I'll be happy. But in terms of storylining. It doesn't get any better. It does not get any better than one and two. It is the pinnacle of cinema for me. Uh, I've loved it ever since I've seen it. I would still love to try and get my hands down the sort of chronological version uh, uh, that's out there somewhere, but I've never been able to, and I've only seen it the once. But I can't wait for that. I really cannot wait for The Godfather on Blu-ray. Okay, well, that's what we've got coming up on AV Forum's movie reviews. Make sure you check the site out and uh, make sure you keep up to date with all the latest reviews and that hit there. So all that's left for me to do is uh, to thank Keith. So thank you, Keith. Thanks very much, Phil. Thanks to Simon for preparing everything again this week. Thanks, Simon. Cheers, Phil. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, thanks to Chris. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure as always. And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening. We shall see you again next month for more movie talk. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.